Welcome to the Few Podcast. Never in the field of human contact, but so much owed by so many to so few. So you want to become one of the few. You can't skip steps. You have to put one foot in front of the other. Things take time. I have a dream. Have a dream. Hear inspiring stories from the few and learn about what it takes to turn your dreams into a reality. It's a day for all Australians, isn't it? It's a day that brings us all together. Marvellous. Your hosts, Boo and Sean. Hey, Shawnee, uh, how are you, mate? Good, Boo. How's uh, welcome to another episode of the Few, everybody? Doing well, doing well. It's uh, sun shining and uh, starting to get warning. Did have my uh, did have my specs on before because I'm starting to have trouble. I'm not can't live in denial anymore that I can't. Oh, look, I can actually see the screen. Uh, you're not as handsome as you look when you're no, blurry. So we'll um, take them off. You know, take them off. It's a podcast. No one cares how we look. We don't even need to put our pants on. It's interesting just listening to that Martin Luther King intro. Well, went for a walk with the dog today and I was listening to Simon Sinek's TED talk about why. And it was fascinating when he talked about Martin Luther King and, and all of his case studies he uses is there's always a reason to not be successful, to not be someone that changes the world, to not be a leader. As he said, you know, there was plenty of uh, African-American leaders at the time, plenty of civil rights activists, but the one thing that gravitated uh, people to Martin Luther King was his authenticity and his belief and, and how in life it's not what we do or what we sell that attracts people to us. It's what we what we believe. Mm, our conviction. I think I have a very yeah, I think we're gonna have a very interesting chat today uh with our guests. So I'll, I'll hand over to you, Shawnee, to do the, the intros today. We'll swap roles. We're gonna put you outside your comfort zone. So we're swapping roles on the spot. Okay, that's good. Okay, so today, someone with uh, a bit of an interest in, a, in a, an area that I did play in, or I actually still do play in a little bit, not to the scale that they're doing it, but Dominic uh, Ulrich is one of the founders of and CEO of LawPath. Mate, we're really, really happy to have you on the show. I know there's going to be some probably some funny lawyer jokes. Hopefully, we can drop in there. Everyone loves a good lawyer joke. Welcome to the show, Dom. Great to have you on board. Yeah. Hey, Sean. Hey, Boo. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here, mate. And no one, there's no need to tune out now because Dom is a lawyer. You do not have to disappear off the off the channel. He is not only a lawyer; he is a uh, oh, you'd have to say a pretty uh, pretty successful entrepreneur, but also a fairly unique uh, individual. So, Dom, let's hop in the time machine a little bit here and talk about you know one of the pivotal moments in your life that got you out of the the mainstream. Because look, let's face it. Law is a bit of a meat grinder as an industry, right? There's a lot of people who go through high school, study law, go through the private practice route. And if you look at the statistics around mental health, suicide, law doesn't actually cover itself in glory. So what was your journey decide, hey, one day I'm going to be a lawyer? Yeah. So yeah, I can I can confirm no one's getting charged in six minute increments during this podcast. It's it's all okay. But uh Look, I, I started off uh, my kind of training and, and career in a very, very traditional way. You know, went, went high school, said, yep, I want to become a lawyer. Went through university doing a law degree and then ended up at one of the, the firms based here in Australia. And I kind of thought my, uh, my career was set. You know, I could sit in my chair for the next 20 years, become partner and then retire and I was done. But what I realized pretty quickly was once I'd entered the industry that didn't really like what I was what I was kind of seeing, and it was mainly that the legal industry is huge and there's tons of lawyers, but it's very very set in its ways. And 
frankly, there were a lot better ways of doing things and ways of getting much, much better outcomes for clients that we used to call them back at the law firm. Now we call them customers at, at, at LawPath. And so I thought there's, there's got to be a way to kind of change that. And the thing that really hit me was that as I was kind of wearing my suit with my slick back hair, sitting in the law firm, thinking I'd, I'd made it, kind of starting to learn that not many people actually have access to legal services. Roughly about 10% of small businesses can actually access a lawyer because of cost or you know other reasons. And so the law industry is kind of set up, it's, it's doing really well, but it really only services a really small part of the population. And so I thought, how can we change that? And this was at a stage that software and technology was really starting to becoming a, a big part of professional services. And so I actually started, it's an extremely strange story, but actually whilst I was a lawyer, I started a bit of a side business training Uber drivers, totally random. But I built that business up to... But why? Uh, what, like how does, where does that idea come from, right? Is it like a dream or something that you just woke up one day and went, I think I'm going to train Uber drivers? Or you just had a really <laughs> yeah. bad Uber trip one day and you're like, this dude needs some training. He needs some training. Um, where it came from was it actually kind of came out of, le- uh, out of the legal industry, which was Uber had this fantastic model where they could find, well, some people say it's fantastic, some people don't, but... In any event, you know, you could find contractors and they could come and drive Uber for you. That worked well because they had flexibility. It meant Uber didn't need employees. But one of the pitfalls of that model was that you couldn't really provide any kind of equipment or training to the drivers because they weren't your employees. And so it kind of eventuated that the way around that was for them to get trained separately. So we built this business. I started it. It was in person at, at the beginning. So I used to go out to the RSL clubs and all the Uber drivers would turn up and we would do all these trainings around how to get your car ready and how to put mints in your car and have water available and things like that. But essentially, it ended up being an, an online training, grew it up to be the biggest in Australia, New Zealand, and Singapore. And that's where I got this startup bug where I was like, I love building businesses. And so I kind of figured, how can I combine building businesses and law? And that's where it kind of all came together and Law Path was born. You must have lost a few six-minute chunks, mate, during the uh, <laughs> during this period. Yeah, yeah definitely, definitely get played in six-minute chunks when you're doing a start. No, nah, you? definitely not. That was a big, big shift change. But, yeah, I was, I was working as a lawyer during the day. I was kind of building this content at night. And um, I just loved, even though at the beginning it wasn't making that much money, that much revenue, I just loved building it. And I loved building a team and all that type of thing. And so, yeah, when I when I kind of figured out that I could do that, but I could actually do it in the area that I was trained, I spent so much money going to university, I kind of felt, felt I've got to get some kind of ROI on this legal stuff. So we 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 started Law Path, me and my co-founder. And really the premise was that, you know, we just wanted to make legal more accessible. We wanted to make everyone have access to legal services. And even though you know, a lot of the, the corporates and the top end of town do, and there's, there's lawyers everywhere. The more and more we spoke to people, the more and more we figured out that they just, they just don't go and see a lawyer. One of the things that I've seen, and this is absolutely what you're saying, is particularly because I work with small to medium businesses and one of our pillars in the eight pillars sort of framework that we, uh, we teach from is numbers and legal. And when you look at the weakest area of people's businesses, it's numbers and legal. And I would ask people, you know, oh, so you've got employment agreements for those team members? Oh, no, no, no. I'm like, what? Uh, and if you, you, you know, you've just gone into business with somebody, do you have a shareholders agreement? A what? And I'm like, yeah. okay, 
So I understand it. You just don't get it. It's like, oh, but if I use a lawyer, it's going to cost $5,000. And I said, what's it going to cost you if somebody sues you or if you stuff it up? Okay. Would you drive a million dollar Ferrari without car insurance? Yeah. Well, no. Then why aren't you doing this for your business? And it's such a hole in the small to medium business space that people are not protecting their backsides because having, you know, as we, we kind of joked about a little bit before we uh, jumped on the podcast before, is that uh, one, that it's great to see an, a lawyer with an awesome personality come on the show. And I do have a lot of lawyer <laughs> friends that are awesome. But the um, the fact that I owned a legal practice for 10 years, learnt a lot of stuff around contracts, state planning, business succession planning, all that sort of stuff. And I could then see straight into everyone's businesses, they had this massive risk hole, like this gigantic level of risk that they're not even taking into account. Even to the point where I asked people in an event with 100 people in it, who has read at least one of the last five legal agreements that have come across the desk before signing it? Two people put their hands up. Mm. That's just one of the last, they just basically just sign it and then hope for the best, yeah. you know? And it's this, there's a huge risk gap. So I think that's what Facebook relies on, isn't it? Isn't that, that's what big tech relies on is the fact that no one actually reads those 200 pages. And your, your phone, your iPhone or whatever, it's like just tick yeah. accept, otherwise you can't no use one, your phone. No one reads so. them. Yeah, it's it's kind of unfortunate that the industry has kind of got to this point where we kind of joked before, you know, what about the lawyer jokes? You know, everyone, no one likes lawyers. There's always bad jokes that they're going to charge me too much. You know, the pricing's not transparent. And so what this has kind of meant is that it just gets pushed to the side. It's kind of like out of sight, out of mind when it comes to legal for small businesses. But it is just one of those things that's so critical to get right. And so we thought, how can we change that? How can we kind of take this fear around going and seeing a lawyer or engaging with lawyers? I mean, the amount of startups I've met that just copy and paste their terms and conditions from their competitors because they just don't want to go and deal with a lawyer. I think most people start like that, right? There's always a copy and paste job going on. So how can we take that stigma away from it? And I think the answer, and you know, we've got 330,000 small businesses using our platform these days. And I think what resonated with them was that they're smart. You know, small businesses are really smart people. And I think the, the issue with, with lawyers was that they had to do everything for you. And what we kind of said is, look, you know what, we'll go away, we'll build tools that allow you to complete legal tasks yourselves. And that kind of empowers small businesses to do it themselves. And so I'm sure if you spoke to your, you know, your friends or your, the, the businesses that you spoke to, Sean, and you said, hey, look, you don't need to go to a lawyer and get, spend $5,000 drafting a shareholders agreement, but here are some tools where you answer some questions and the AI will get involved and it will kind of help you draft it. And it's going to cost you a lot less. They definitely do it because they know they need it. They just don't know how to get there. And they're used to doing that. You go online, someone sends you something, you put your name and your address, whatever, and a form appears because that's effectively the same thing that you're doing. It's it's a type of yeah. form and you have certain, you know, if this, then that, what is it, the cascade, um, what do you call it? Conditional logic kind of stuff, yeah. yeah. So, conditional logic, yeah, yeah. And so it says that if, I, if that person selects this, well, then it gives them these couple of options. So that is, I feel as well, is a much lower path of resistance than go and talk to a lawyer because they're like, they're scared to just pick up the phone because straight away they're being charged 500 yeah. bucks just to say hi, you know, we'll leave a voicemail. And so have you seen resistance from small business to this shift or have you seen a greater level of acceptance you, that you probably would have anticipated? So it's, it's been twofold. So we're, we're six years old now. And when we first started, we knew we kind of had this idea. We knew we wanted to use software to commoditize legal services but we got a lot of pushback from small businesses and, and customers because it was a big behavioral change. This kind of idea that you didn't have to use a lawyer for everything, that you could do some things yourself. There was a lot of fear in that as well in getting it wrong. And so we saw a, a 
you know, it was a difficult first few years to kind of get, get the business up and running. I think what really helped us was that when you look at other industries like accounting or insurance or banking, you know, they've all moved online. And so you could kind of say to people, look, you're using Xero for your accounting, you're using BizCover for your insurance. You know, you should have an online legal provider as well. But what we always found was everyone was using online platforms for everything else, and then they'd still be going to their dad's friend's lawyer to get things sorted for them. So the first kind of real shift was the behavioural change, getting people used to it. And once that happened, we really saw it take off. And so it's um, probably the last three or four years, it's been growing really, really quickly. Um, We onboard about 350, 400 new customers a day. And I think what people really love is that we're giving, we're kind of empowering them to kind of take control back over this boring legal and compliance stuff that no one needs, no one wants to do, but they all know that they need to. Well, I think also, mate, one of the things that annoys people and, you know, annoys me after 17 years in business as a founder is paying a fortune for a boilerplate document as well. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the document you're getting from the law firm, all they've done is put your ABN number, your address and your business name in the top right. Start off and it's like well yeah it's and i i recently just uh used law path actually for a co-founders agreement for some software that i'm developing and it was great it was good to hear yeah and very intuitive you know very very simple and you don't have to worry about copying and comparing documents and who's changed what and what's going on like and i think that's where cloud is so useful right when it comes to doing anything with documentation compared to the old-fashioned well, which version am I on? Saving into this Dropbox, that Dropbox. So I thought I thought the uh, the product was clever. And when you look at the price to get that particular product, it's fair. So I think for you as well as a business, it's smart because it's it's meaningful. It's a meaningful amount of money, but it's not over the top, right? And I think that's where rather than just have one document and cut and paste the rest, you've got a, like a budget now of legal documents where you can actually go get. A suite of correct documents, and, and and you guys stack it like that as well, right? Like you can you can find related documentation and pull it all together. It does a lot of that smarts behind the scenes. So, where do you feel you got that sense of what the customer needs, though? Like all entrepreneurs are solving a problem, but where did you see the problem? Yeah, when we first started, we would spend a lot of time in accelerators, and incubators, so kind of co-working spaces, and just spend a lot of time talking to to startups and. There were a lot of law firms kind of around the place trying to offer their services. But what became really, really clear was that those first few years, the last thing you want to do is spend money on legal or spend money on accounting. You know, you, you, you're spending it on sales or marketing or get your business up and going. And I truly believe that's where you should be spending your money. You know, there's a lot to be said to setting up correctly when you first start. But I hated the experience when we had customers come through us and they'd say, oh, look, I set up with a law firm last year. It cost me, it cost me $20,000 to get my basic structure up and running. And, you know, that's that's $20,000 that should have gone towards trying to find product market fit because, unfortunately, the reality is that most of these new businesses won't last. So they've got these amazing structures with all the right documentation, but then they've got no product. So we spent a lot of time talking to customers. My co-founder, Tom, he started a lot of businesses himself. He's the ultimate serial entrepreneur. He's every every idea, he's, he's up late at night trying to start it. And I think he he felt the same thing. He doesn't come from a, a legal background, but he felt that, that there was just always this, this big gap, which was he has a marketing background, but he didn't know how to get set up. And 
I think what a lot of the time it comes down to is just the confidence that you're doing it correctly. And to be honest, that's why a lot of people pay lawyers, even though they know that they're probably going to be getting that template out of their drawer and just changing the name on the top of the document. It's all around just the confidence that you've got it correct. Yeah. And that's what a lot of people are looking for. I think, Dom, the thing is it's that fear of that mistake because we're all here or that person made a mistake or they didn't have a certain clause in their agreement and that's what stuffed yeah. them up. That's what cost them, you know, a million dollars or their whole business or something. And that confidence, as you say, and I obviously had a good look at your website and how you do it and the process and things like that. And also having a, uh, actually a sort of somewhat competing business in that market which we have put in maintenance mode for the last sort of 10 years, so haven't bothered. But uh, clearly you guys have taken it, strapped rockets on the back and off you go. But it, it's, you can see the, the educational approach, the gentle kind of providing confidence through the client experience. Mm. And um, I've got many clients of mine, I know that have used LawPath as well, because we, rather than have nothing in place, if you can't yet afford to spend $5,000 on a shareholders agreement or partnership agreement, with a lawyer, if you can jump on and do one at a reduced rate, but have one in place, it's much better than not having one at all. So, but one other question that came up for me, giving the the whole old school nature of the industry, well, there's two questions. This is the first one. This is the kind of the least serious one, which is, did you get much push pushback from the actual old school legal professionals in what you guys yes, are doing? We did. We got a lot. We got a lot of pushback. I think when we first started, we used to get one or two emails a week from lawyers saying you're ruining the profession you know you you you're uh, you're stealing our jobs things like that and i you know when, when we first started our, our kind of byline was we're going to replace the lawyer and i think i learned very quickly that um, that that wasn't going to happen and i think once we <laughs> yeah i know big time talking about not a good <laughs> idea but once we realized that we don't really want to replace lawyers. I think what we want to, well, I know what we want to do. We would just want to change the way that lawyers work so that we do all the basic stuff and then they can focus on the, the kind of complicated stuff. And I think customers kind of see that value as well. So our fastest growing product isn't actually any of our document tools or company registration tools or e-signature tools. It's actually our on-demand legal advice tool. So you can call a lawyer whenever you need to. You just click a button and you you know in the platform, the lawyer pops up. And I think that's because that you know people still really appreciate the human element. I mean, law is still complicated. You know, it, we're not going to be going to be able to totally turn it into a software process. So then there still needs to be that element. So to answer your question, legal professions definitely still come around now to us, and I think they they know that we're there for a certain type of user, and that works really well for us because we're all about small businesses, and they're the ones that typically can't afford to have a lawyer on retainer. So. We're happy to to stick with the small business community and kind of help them out. So one of the things that that I've seen too, and this is in, not just in the legal profession, is this concept of technology taking over is actually to remove the noise, not take away from the profession. And why you pay a lawyer is for their advice, for how they think about an agreement, not to have them draft a template and put your name on the top. You actually want them to give advice. The other thing I perceive, though, in your model, why I feel your model is working is because now most of us have attention span shorter than a goldfish and we want to get everything five seconds ago. So the ability to just go click and actually get a lawyer rather than trying to ring up and they're not, not available, they're out playing golf today or they're in court for a week or whatever, and it takes you a long time to actually connect with somebody, your ability to access on a platform basis that advice quickly, effectively, 
at a good good rate. I think that's a big key to that. And and why I talk to that is there's a lot of other industries that need to take a leaf out of your book as to what you guys are doing and how you're approaching it and shifting the lower level hack work kind of thing, bread and butter to technology, to AIs, to you know all that sort of stuff where it can effectively take the noise away and allow the lawyers as well. And I imagine as a lawyer, the most boring thing you would have done is have to go through and review or type documents and all that sort of stuff. Whereas the fun stuff is going, how do we strategize this situation? How do we get this person out of this, this predicament? Or how do we protect this person given this situation? Yeah. So how do you feel this type of model applies now to, to broader industries or other industries as well? Yeah. So I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I call it the unbundling of legal services. A lawyer doesn't need to do everything for you. There were so many things along the process that can be done by non-lawyers or, in our case, software. And so as long as we kind of unbundle it and plug in the professions at the right time, the professional at the right time, you can get a really, really good service. And just by its nature, it will cut the cost down because everyone knows no matter who you speak to, people say lawyers are too expensive or legal services are too expensive. I tell you what, we take a big, big leaf out of the accountant's book, which is you look at someone like Zero. So, so 15 years ago, you used to go to your bookkeeper and your accountant, say once a month. You'd go and they would do your ledger and they'd check every, everything. Now you talk to a small business or a startup and no one's going to see their accountant every week. They're on Zero or they're on QuickBooks and they're doing it themselves. And they're doing all the kind of basic things themselves. And then they go and they speak to their accountant at the end of the quarter or the end of the year. And the accountant acts more like an advisor because the accountant doesn't want to be sitting there marking off a ledger and doing all that stuff. They want to be doing the advising. And so I think if we can kind of get to this type of model where it's self-serve instant delivery, you do it yourself. And then you plug, we call it kind of service embedded. You plug in the professional at the right time, the accountant or the advisor or the broker or the lawyer. I think that's a fantastic model moving forward and it means you get the best of both worlds. You get the efficiency you get using software and doing it yourself, but you also get the confidence of a professional jumping in and saying, hey, you know what, Sean, you did this correct. Your shareholders agreement is, is okay or you know, whatever it is. Yeah, and I think that, that's one of the things that I have actually seen in the accounting space is a lot more accounting firms are now classing themselves as advisory yeah. firms, not accounting firms. They're actually not, they're even changing their names. And I've noticed that shift over the last few, uh, probably last five years, there's a lot more advisory based in accounting because bookkeeping and stuff is now done offshore by someone for five bucks an hour in a system like Zero or QuickBooks or whatever. And it makes it really, really simple for people to do that. And, and as you said, it's now becoming more normalized that people can put it in. And I know one of our similar products, you, you put it in there and then it's, it's reviewed by a lawyer. So the lawyer comes back and says, actually, you haven't done this correctly or you if you you know it's not not executed properly or whatever just to let people know so they've got the confidence that this document's going to yeah. work in, in given the situation and it's a it's a it's a great model the other really serious question that i had was so when you were working in that big firm you know as you were doing then doing your uber driver training and stuff like that was there drama going on like the netflix series suits was that happening <laughs> well, I think that's why I, um, I remember when I was at high school and university, I had like a big picture of, um, of all the lawyer, kind of the um, Harvey Specter and all those guys on my wall. And I can't yeah. tell you, it is nothing like that. No one is sneaking off to the <laughs> copy room to make out. Uh, unfortunately, that just doesn't happen. Don't worry, mate. I've, I've, I've had to live that lie with Top Gun as well. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, doing it as a job is like nothing like what it is in the middle. It's bloody hard work. 
No, my uh, we got we got two beagles that are uh, this day at this stage ten months old, and they're uh, Harvey Specter and Lewis Litt. That's the name of our two beagles. So, oh mate, that's I didn't realize you're so hardcore, Sean. <laughs> this is like <laughs> you having a conversation here is, is basically like meeting Obama. You know, it's like a. <laughs> He's a bit starstruck. No wonder I can't get a word in today. Sean's is like all over you, Dom. The shoe's on the other foot finally. That's, that's it. But over to you, boo. <laughs> so, Dom, I've got a question for you, which is a personal one. What, what was it like when you started and you had a big mountain to climb and you had nothing? Yeah, it was tough. We knew we were going up against this big, big industry that had a lot of power and a lot of revenue and they were very much stuck in, you know, legal services, apart from a few edge cases, hasn't changed the way they provide them in the last 50 years. You know, it's it's always been the same. And the reason for that is that you make a lot of money being a lawyer, providing it, you know, in the traditional way. So we knew we had a really big kind of hill to climb there around convincing customers to kind of try something new. And then convincing lawyers that we weren't here to eat their lunch. We were here to kind of help the industry move forward. And well, it was a tough first few years. And I think the reason was that we just couldn't find product market fit. We kind of kept building these products, thinking we'll build a product and then the kind of market will come. And it wasn't until I kind of explained that we started sitting in with... How, just how big of a mistake is that? Like for a lot of people who think that a digital startup or tech startup is all about having an idea and then people throwing $1 billion at you to get them sticky, you know, like the Uber model. Like how important is that product market fix and also having genuine customers as part of your journey? Yeah, I mean, it's everything, right? When they say 90% idea, uh, sorry, 10% idea, 90% execution. You know, my favorite saying still to this day, even though we've got a lot bigger, is, is if you're not embarrassed by your MVP, you didn't move fast enough. So MVP is kind of minimal viable product, and it's just about getting it into market. And so you can see if customers like it or not, because I think we made this mistake, and, I, and I've advised now, you know, tens of thousands of startups through through LawPath, and I've watched them. You think you have the best idea in the world. Your mom and dad think you have the best idea in the world. Your friends who you gave it to for free think you have the best idea in the world. You don't have a product until you have people paying for it and you have a scalable people paying for it. So I think getting it out there, I'm a real big believer in what I kind of call the concierge kind of method, which is on the surface, it looks like you're using software and it's all, it's all working well, but behind the scenes, everything's a total mess and you're doing it manually. I mean, one of our very first products was the product you guys have spoken about, which is our contract automation software, which allows you to build software. On the front end, it looked like software was building the soft, building the, the document. On the back end, it was me typing away on Word, telling the person that it was a bit of a delay, typing it up and sending it back to the customer. And I used to do that for like a couple of months until... Wizard of Oz. It was full Wizard of Oz until we'd proven that people were actually comfortable taking a document that had been drafted by software and using it. And then once we knew that, we could invest in the software to actually do it. Yeah, I have to say, Dom, that we may or may not have done that ourselves too with our, some of our products. And I can definitely say that I'm incredibly embarrassed by the MVPs we've had. You're doing it right. Last. You're it's doing it right. Across many, many businesses. <laughs> uh, so you got it, but you got to start somewhere. So for the startups out there, you got to start somewhere, but seek advice from someone who actually knows what they're talking about and it doesn't have an agenda in answering whether they think it's actually a good idea or not. Because if you listen to that, it'll probably save you five years of your life. I think these incubators are good though. I think like the antlers of the world and all the business hubs now you've got down on York Street in in Sydney. You know, I think if you're if you're really serious about it, you've got to go all in 
quit your job, get into an incubator. And if the idea flies there and someone's willing to drop a, a few bucks on you, then you've got an idea as opposed to the curse of bootstrapping your great idea that no one really likes. So well, who did you, we call it like a red team, right? So you've someone who is constantly just checking your assumptions, making sure your cognitive biases, your confirmation bias, optimism bias isn't taking you down a rabbit warren. Who did you use as your red team? Uh, Dom, or did you and your co-founder kind of have a pretty good, healthy red team relationship? No. Oh, well, mentors, otherwise known as mentors as well, that can give you that red team advice. So Tom and I, we we were the same. We were all just always just going for it. So we we had a, a pretty good group of advisors early on who ended up becoming our early investors who would always call us out on our crap. You've actually got an investor who's a former pilot in the Royal Australian Air Force as well. Yeah, Brooke. Brooke's a former pilot. Yeah. Brooke and I flew together. We were in the same squadron at the same time. So I knew Brooke. Oh, wow. Back when he's a, a youngster. Yeah, I'll have to tell him. Well, I mean, he he went on to have a number of very different and successful businesses after being a pilot. Yeah, no, he's done he's done great. Yet yet another example of fighter pilot mindset at work. There you go, just works. <laughs> yeah, so we actually started in um, Tank Stream Labs, which is one of those incubators on York Street, and so that was a great breeding ground for us because we could go and test our assumptions really quickly with people that were willing to give us a bit of a try. And so I think a combination of that plus our advisors. Kind of helped us along, and and that, you know I kind of keep coming back to it, but we didn't get it right at all early on. We've really got it wrong a lot of times, and it took a lot to kind of keep going back to the drawing board. And I think it was always because we knew this end vision, which was we wanted a platform where small businesses could come and access legal kind of solutions themselves or on demand. We just didn't know how to get there, and so it took a couple of years to kind of figure that out. And the big catalyst for us was actually moving to a subscription model. So I think once, and maybe this was me and the lawyer, like the the old lawyer in me, like fighting away, trying to keep it time-based or transactional-based. But once we said, you know what, it needs to be fixed price and it needs to be all you you can eat, that's when the the kind of penny dropped for a lot of customers. And I think that works really well when it's software, right? Because you build it once and you you can apply it, you know, as many times as you want, or you can deliver it as many times as you want with no cost. So once you're using more and more software to deliver the services, you can move to these uh, these unlimited subscription type models. And then it's all about, you know, high volume, low margin, which is what the, the business model is based on for us. So how do you figure that out, mate? I mean, I think one of the biggest challenges for startup or any business, really, it's an appreciation of value, right? You're coming from a, an environment where value is quantified by the time in industry, the hours that person spends and the cascade of human beings under them, right? So so the value of a legal team's hour is a very significant sum of money. And you're at the other end of the spectrum, which is the, you know, the pennies and dimes subscription model. So how long did it take you to start to appreciate value in terms of what you do? I know that you knew the value in terms of what you were doing. It was valuable, but to go commercial with it, how did you kind of not on our well, this is the subscription price. I'd always been this, there'd always been this big kind of fight between time-based billing and value-based billing, even in, in the in the legal industry. And then once we kind of moved it over to software, we knew that actually I'll tell you how it happened. We started at kind of offering certain products at certain prices and we just 
we did so much testing. I think at one time we had 10 different landing pages with 10 different prices on it. And we were using all the different variations to see which ones had the best conversion rates. And so it was like a lot of testing moving up and down the kind of value chain until we found the sweet spot. And the sweet spot's going to be different for all types of different cohorts of customers. And so then once we we said, you know, we used to go after accountants and they have a different perception of value and a different price point than say a startup or a small business. So once we said, you know, we are going to be everything for small businesses only and then found where they, they see value, it was starting there and then building up. So we were always very, very keen on this idea that we'll start right at the bottom end of the market and kind of move up the food chain as we get more and more sophisticated. But yeah, I think our pricing started way down in the tens or twenty dollars a month, and I don't want it to get too high. You know, we, we sit at about one hundred and twenty dollars a month now for on-demand legal advice and all the tools. And uh, you know, our sales team and our marketing team are always saying, "Go higher, go higher, go higher." But I really want to stay at that price point because I know that's at a price point where small businesses can actually get involved and experience product. Anything bigger, and unfortunately, you run into this problem where they're like, "Oh, legal," you know. I'll just tuck that away over here and not think about it. We'll save that for next year. What's the purpose behind this? Clearly by you saying, I don't want to make more money because I want to make sure uh, people who are our target avatar that you've researched and tested. <laughs> well, well, don't tell the, don't no, tell the investors that. That, that um, was tongue yeah. in cheek because you, you are a business person, but I was tongue in cheek. But what's your personal like driver behind the model and the, the impact that you're looking to make for yeah. small business owners and all that sort of stuff? Yeah, so, I mean, we... Um, the big thing for me is access to legal services. I mean, too many times, even since I started this business, I've spoken to people. I hate it when a customer comes through and says, oh, I wish I'd known about you guys before, or I got ripped off by a lawyer, or, or I had a fight with my co-founder and something went wrong. And so I, I would just love to get it to a point where 50% of small businesses have access to legal help. And, and feel like they can speak to someone because it is so stressful. I mean, everybody, everybody you speak to, I'm sure you guys have gone through it. Like everyone you've spoken to that's had a business before has had some kind of legal problem where it stressed them right out and they just didn't know what to do and they didn't know where to go and they didn't know who to turn to. And so if we can get Law Park to a point where everyone feels like they have access and they can feel like they have confidence to kind of run their business without constantly stressing about the boring legal bit, that's where I want to get to. So in terms of pricing, you know, I really want to make it accessible. I think the way, or I know the way that we get, we make the money is to have a lot of people. So, you know, we have a, a lot of people accessing our services, but we keep the price at a point where everyone can afford it. Don, we have a lot of small business, medium business owners who listen in on this podcast. Uh, and for all of them, they've been in business for a long time, not usually the startup guys. So one of the things that you know, we find happens is it's all fun at first and then, then it gets hard. So how do you find yourself staying motivated? And six years is a long time in today's world for anyone to commit to one thing. If you're in a law firm by now, you'd be on your third law firm. So what is it about your daily practices or what you do that keeps the mojo up week to week? One of the things that I know a lot of people have have already figured this secret out is to have a co-founder or someone there that you can kind of rely on because running a business and going through the tough times, especially alone is, is so difficult. And so I think if you've got someone there that you can rely on and you can kind of share the burden a little bit, it really, really helps. So, 
you know, Tom and I, we have really different motivations. You know, I come at this from a, like a legal side where I really want people to access the legal services. Tom and Tom comes at it from a point of view where he, he has run so many small businesses and knows so many small businesses. He wants to make them successful. And so I think we both have our own personal drivers, but when we connect them, it doesn't matter if I'm having a low month or he's having a low month and kind of push, push each other along. Are you values aligned though? The two of you values aligned? Oh yeah, very, very much so. Yeah, I think, I mean, to a point where I've really encouraged the board and, and us to kind of bring in other senior leaders in the business recently, because I think kind of building up a senior leadership team around this is going to make a, a big kind of difference to grow the business out. And it get, you know, the businesses get to a size where it's not about the individual any, anymore. It's not about the founder or the co-founders. You know, there needs to be a team there that's driving things. And that's the kind of level that we're at at the moment. And by the sounds of it, Dom, you know, with you guys, whilst having different drivers, having that aligned value set is one of the most important things. And I've had plenty of business partners in my time. I had 11 business partners in seven years. And I think I spent about half of that time negotiating people in and predominantly negotiating them out because whenever people leave, it's always a bit of a punish. But I think it's been eight years since I've got into business with somebody and and Boo and I obviously doing this, a few uh, concept together. And that's because we know each other. We know what each other stands for. We know each other's values. So I agree having somebody on your side can help. And you, but you've got to make sure it's the right person when it comes to a business partner. If you can't find a business partner, find someone to mentor and support you. And as you said earlier, who's going to call you on your crap, right? Because we all need some more people to call us on our crap to keep us honest effectively, I think. And, and by the sounds of it, you guys have been able to do that with each other. Yeah, I mean, just kind of as you were talking, kind of just reflecting on that, I've never really questioned our values because from the very beginning, they've been so aligned. And maybe that's something I need to kind of go back and say, like, where you at? But I, I suppose I, I've been very lucky in that I found someone who I work very cohesively with. And we've never really had to kind of even have those difficult conversations. You know, we're very much aligned. We're really in tune. So I, I think that really helps. But as, as you kind of just said, that's really, really difficult to find. Yeah, and you guys are quite unique, I feel, because what I see is at least 80% of partnerships fail in the first three years in business, at least from the, from the thousands of businesses that I've worked with. And whenever someone goes, yeah, I'm going to merge with another person, we're going to join the businesses together, I've got a 100% strike rate now what I've said to them, this is your decision to make. I don't believe it's the right decision and this is, these are the reasons why and left it at that, and they've made the decision, they've gone ahead, and within about 24 months, they're unwinding from it because it didn't work. Because straight away, if they're not values aligned, you're not looking for this ultimately the same outcome. It's like dating, right? Everyone gets caught up in the moment. They're only looking at the good. They're only looking at the yeah. good at each other. And, oh, if I'm with you, I'm going to grow, and I'm with you, I'm going to grow. And everyone forgets, actually, you've got to grow. <laughs> you've both got to grow, not just the other person, and you're the free carry. Yeah, it's one of the biggest pain points. We get we get a lot of customers coming to us saying, you know, I need to find a co-founder. And I think it's really difficult to find someone to run a business with because everyone's at different stages in their life. And, you know, everything really needs to align to find someone that is at that exact point in their life where they're ready to go on a journey. And the journey is the one that you want to go on as well. So, yeah, I don't, I don't know the what, what the answer there is in terms of finding someone really, really good to run your business with. But I do know if you find that person. They're worth their weight in gold. They are. Uh, yeah, they're absolutely worth their weight in gold. Even though you get the Mark Zuckerbergs, you get the Steve Jobs, you get these individuals, the reality is everyone starts with someone. There are very few people that start completely by themselves. And it might be two or three other people or, but it's very hard to do anything in life 
I mean, I'm talking to the preaching to the choir. I don't know anyone that's become successful on their own. No, no one. Not one. We always need, whether it's partners, support networks, mentors, groups, whatever it is, communities, we all have to have that. And especially as a business owner, that's that's incredibly, I think it's one of the most valuable things. It's just that as in business, you put it under a lot more pressure, I think. Like it's, mm. you know, because for whatever reason, money always becomes a source of pressure. So I think that's the that's the difference, right? Even in a in a romantic relationship or with your partner, it's all fine until you know I can't pay the mortgage or or whatever. And then business is like that every day. Because the best saying I ever had is run your business every day as if you're going out of business. Yeah, you know, then you'll always make good decisions, right? And and I think good business owners, that's what they do. They don't wake up every day and go, Oh, hey, we're on easy street. It's like, what's the problem today? You know, what, what do I need to solve today? I think uh, Bill Gates called it productive paranoia, right? <laughs> yeah. So always, and they had their. I think it had, uh, there was some famous. Um, I've read it a couple of years ago. Some famous memo he sent out when Microsoft had its biggest results, biggest profit, all sort of stuff. And he sent out this this email to the entire Microsoft team, and basically said, "We can't rest on our laurels, right? Someone's going to come and knock mm. us off the perch. We have to be productively paranoid." So in a positive way, keep an eye on what's going on, not get complacent and all that sort of stuff. And I think it is too easy as we start to get to a certain level of success, the complacency can actually kill our creativity. They can, it can kill our progression forward because we get a certain level of comfort and then we go, uh, you know, what's, you know, there's nothing driving. It's not that bigger, bigger vision. And one of the things actually a question that popped up before uh, Dom was what would your advice be to people who are looking and are in the space of disrupting existing markets and existing industries. What are some of the things you learned that 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 might help um, the, some of the people listening to this podcast? Before I answer that, because I do have a great answer, but but I did want to touch on one of the things that I've learned a lot along the way. With you know, a co-founder now of six years was that if you are lucky enough to have someone there that you're running a business with, you can't just run your business together. You do need to check in on the kind of personal side and the alignment, you know, making sure that you're still aligned, something that Tom and I didn't do early on. And I think it really affected our business. And so it's made a huge difference. We just, we get a coffee every Friday. The rule is not to talk about work and you can just talk about other things and it makes, makes a huge, huge difference. But to answer the question, sorry, John, just, re- just repeat that question for me again. So for people who are either in that space or looking to get in a space of disrupting an industry and, and potentially upsetting, upsetting the, yeah. uh, the, the norm, so what, what would you suggest uh, some of the things to do or perspectives? It's really important that you understand the industry. Now, I know that sounds like the stupidest answer ever, but I see a lot of companies and businesses coming through LawPath where they are a mortgage broker and they want to start a rideshare training company. Now, that worked for the, the, the small few, but really the most successful businesses out there are the ones where you've been working in a certain industry for a long time, you understand the intricacies of that industry and you've identified the gaps and then you can go and kind of leverage that. I've always kind of thought that, you know, to be successful, you, you have to have a piece of information that no one else has or you have a piece of information you can apply it in a way that no one else can. And I think you only get that information by having a really deep understanding of the industry that you're in. So I definitely don't deny there are kind of circum or situations out there where you go into a brand new industry and you just totally disrupt it. But the majority of the time, you or someone connected to the business has really strong insight into that business and can identify the gaps. Absolutely. Totally agree. I think, I think the person who's been able to be that disruptive 
kind of do anything, guys, Elon Musk. But if you look at his personal life and who he is, man, that guy's a freak. He's a fruitcake. His dad's having kids with his stepdaughter and Elon Musk fair with his best mate from Google. I mean, I, I reckon, you know, to be that level of success and to be that disruptive, you're a psychopath. I mean, you have to be. You have to be. <laughs> yeah, he's one of the exceptions. You function at a whole different, whole different bloody universe. I think you function. It is just out there honestly i mean what a lot of lot of crazy but the thing is and particularly spending a bit of time around those incubators they are the people that are idolized you know as i want to be the next elon musk and it's like well have you got a soul and if you do you, do you love your wife yet well it's not going to happen so my point being dom is the you kind of said it before it's the idea isn't the piece in a startup the idea isn't the magic when you go out and do something People look at it and they go, oh, my gosh, look at that brand new business. What a great idea. That was the easy part, right? What is your process of evolution? So how important is it to admit mistakes, to say this isn't working, and to constantly evolve your product? Because you said it earlier, what you started with wasn't right. Yeah, and what you start with is often not the product that you end up going to market with or the product that you're actually successful with. And I think... I don't know who says it, but there's that saying that goes around, which is kind of, it says something along the lines of kind of strong convictions easily changed or strong convictions quickly changed. And how I kind of interpret that is, you know, you have a very strong opinion or an idea or a vision of how something should be. But then if you get data or information that you're incorrect or you need to change, then you quickly change it. You need to iterate quickly. And you need to get feedback from the customers and you need to quickly change the product to be successful. A big one that I think about a lot is bringing in IP to the business. You know, now we're at a certain stage. I want to bring in as much IP into the business as possible from other team members. So for me, we are disrupting the legal industry. We have a number of lawyers in the business, but actually I don't try and hire lawyers anymore because they are kind of institutionalized in a certain way. They think that a Something should be done a certain way. I love bringing in software developers or I love bringing in design people because they think about things differently and you give them a a boring legal kind of process and they say, well, why can't we do it like this? And yeah, why can't we do it like that? You know, it's only done in a a different way because lawyers say it should be done that way. So I think um, being very driven into what you want to achieve, but being very open to feedback and being told you're wrong and changing that has meant that we're getting better and better and I had a big ego on me and maybe I still do, but like I definitely am realizing now that there's, there's other people in the business that have better ideas than you and you need to be really open to, to taking on that feedback. Totally, totally agree. That's the thing. The thing that I've seen with businesses that, that don't succeed or that have got like a, a handbrake on and they're pressing the accelerator and all they're doing is making a lot of noise and burning through a lot of energy are those that, will, that refuse to believe that their, their idea might actually suck, right? And they get they stick to it. It's kind of like those singing shows, and people are like you know they they ten seconds and they stop them. And they go, well, my family tells me I'm a really good singer. It's like we need better, you know, need better feed people, people to give you feedback. And it's the same thing that we can get stuck in this thing of going, okay, well, it's our idea. You know, this is the most amazing thing because it's not the idea. It's what it's what the market feel the idea. And it, and I believe this is you know what Boo teaches a lot is it's the execution of that idea that counts. It's not the idea at all. So question I want to ask you is in your own experience, your own journey of 
going through and being a lawyer and then and then coming out of the dark side and and becoming an entrepreneur and all the rest of it. What's something that you've learned that you would love to go back and teach to a you know a younger version of you just about maybe step into university to become a lawyer? What would you go back and tell yourself? Yeah. I don't know if I can articulate this lesson very well, but it's a lesson that I feel like I'm kind of am learning now is that it's never as bad as it seems. And that is that you own a business or you run a business, you put so much pressure on yourself to be successful. And I know a lot of entrepreneurs out there that the pressure they feel is the pressure they put on themselves rather than the pressure that comes from anywhere else. And I know I've spent a lot of years stressing out and not sleeping and trying to get kind of through the tougher times in the business. And I look back now and I cannot believe I stressed out that much. And so I think you've obviously got to care. You've obviously got to hold on to things, but you've got to hold on to things lightly in that if you don't hit a certain target or you don't get that partnership that you wanted, or you don't get that employee, you've got to like, you've got to be able to move on and and kind of keep moving forward. And I think I would love to go back and tell my 25 year old self that that would be the best piece of advice. And that wraps up another episode of The Few. Thank you to our partners, Afterburner, for team building, development, and alignment. We understand now how important it is to have the right people around you. Get them on board with where you want to go. Momentum Media, the largest industry publisher in the country, connecting your business to the Australian community. ICMI, Australia's premier speaker bureau, representing the few that do fulfill their life's purpose. And finally, Sean's Inner Circle the business coaching organization for small and medium enterprises looking to make that next step. Thanks again for listening in and downloading today. Please leave a review on whatever platform you are currently listening to this podcast and reach out to our partners who can help you make the transition to the few. I've heard that similes. I can't remember who told it to me many, many years ago, but the saying was nothing's ever as good or as bad as it actually seems. And it's great advice. And I I think now kids put so much pressure on themselves but given the expectation that's set in every level from intelligence to appearance you know to where you should be at every stage in life well kids think they should already be operating at a level of a 20 year old when they're 13 so i think that's uh, that's awesome advice hey dom thanks so much for coming on to the few podcasts with us we learned a lot about what you do at law path as well as you know a lot of what it is to be Uh, an entrepreneur and i know that uh, our listeners are going to really appreciate some of those insights today so thanks so much appreciate it don thanks so much awesome thanks boo thanks sean thanks guys this has been the few podcasts with boo and sean if you've got value from this episode and you would like to support us please share it with your friends if you're posting this on social media use the hashtag the few so we can see who's listening the few podcast is recorded at momentum media in sydney australia to listen to more episodes visit us at fewpodcast.com and make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode dream big keep pushing and one day you can become one of the few we'll see you next week